Please open your Bibles to James chapter 5. James chapter 5, verse 13. Through this series of James, we've been seeing that James is writing so that we might live well. Wherever we're at in life, in every single season, right at this moment, today... And tomorrow, and the next day, and the next day, James is not writing so that life goes well, but that we live well. Ten weeks ago, when we started reading through James together, chapter one, we looked at under the heading, the subtle art of living well when life is not well. God's starting place for us and God's starting place with us. He is working in us and through us in the hard stuff of life to progress us in faith and godliness. It is the subtle art of living well when life is not well. And I've had dozens of conversations in the last 10 weeks with you, with individuals who've said how big a thing it has been for them to come and understand that God is working His stuff out in our lives while the hard stuff is going on. That was the big thing that crunched me over the previous six months, uh, reading through James and preparing this series, was just coming to that humble realisation that things don't need to get it to a certain standard before God is going to start doing His work in the world, in the church, in my family, in my community, in me. But it starts now in the hard stuff. Now in these last verses of James chapter 5, James gives us wise words for facing particular situations in life. This is very personal. This is the subtle art of living well when you are not well. Let's have a look at it. James chapter 5 verse 13. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed... And the heavens gave rain and the earth produced its crops. My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring that person back, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. We summed up last week's sermon in the previous verses there of chapter 5. We summed it up with one word. 
Remember what it was? Starting with P, patience. This week's sermon can be summed up in one word too. Do you notice the word that is repeated throughout those verses that we just read? It's in almost every verse. It also starts with P, prayer. This is a passage that calls us to pray. In any and every situation, our mouth is poised to pray. Our heart is turned towards God as we are dependent on Him in verbalised faith. Now, what's your first reaction when you realise that it's Monday morning when you were hoping that it was Saturday morning? What's your first reaction when you start to feel that cloud coming over you that says, head cold coming? What's your first response when a member of your team resigns unexpectedly? Or, 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 or somebody who's higher up in your workplace, your supervisor or your boss? When there's that change at work that you didn't see coming, that's going to make things really difficult, what's your first response? What's your first response when you're not keeping up at school? When you realise that there's a mountain of assignments in front of you and perhaps you're just not going to get them done? Parents with school-aged children? Two people in my small group this week. We meet on Thursday night, the night before the end of the school term. Two parents couldn't do small group because... Kids had a mountain of assignments that they were feeling overwhelmed with. I was one of those parents. What's your first reaction when plans change? Oh, what about when the sun's out? On a nice day like today. What about when you've got a spring in your step? What's your first response? What's your first response when you finish your project on time and now you're on leave for like the next 10 days, making the most of the public holidays that are coming up? What's your first response when you find that you're in love for the first time or you've had a new baby? What's your first response when you've got a pay rise? Smooth sailing in life can cause us to forget God. Trouble can turn us away from God. But there is no circumstance in life where God is not inviting us to himself. James says, in every situation, pray. Verse 13, is anyone among you in trouble? Got a head cold? Realising it's Monday when you wish it was Saturday? Change at work? A mountain of stuff in front of us? Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Have you got a spring in your step? Have you finished your project on time? Have you got holidays ahead for you? Are you in love? Have you got a pay rise? Have you got a baby that you're excited about or a new dog? Is any one of you happy? Let them sing songs of praise. If this is as far as you make it in today's sermon, here's the one word for you. Pray. Pray. Make a decision now 
to progress prayer in your life, to move along in prayer, to become more consciously poised to pray in every situation in life. Now, there's, there's tips and skills that you can pick up to help you become a prayer. Uh, our high school small group this last week was doing a little training exercise on how to pray and we saw some of the fruit of that this morning. Uh, as Rensker and Will uh, worked on writing a prayer. Some of the others are going to do that at afternoon church this afternoon. Some others are going to do it on Friday night at youth group. They are working on some of the tips and skills to be able to pray and we can do that. But at heart, we need to develop a persistent posture of dependence on God in every situation. Okay, now as we come into verse 14 there's a more specific situation when we are not well. This is about if you're sick, physically. Call the elders to pray with you and for you. Verse 14. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. Now this is a really um, disputed uh, verse in the Bible Uh, Some people take sickness here as spiritual sickness, uh, being in some kind of sin um, or or, or, or moving away from the faith in some kind of a way. Uh, I think what's on view here is severe physical sickness. Uh, One, the usual word that's used here for sickness does mean a physical ailment. Uh, Secondly, whatever's going on for this person is so severe that they are not able to meet with other people. They're not able to go to the elders and be prayed for, but they need to call the elders to come to them. Uh, They are incapacitated in some kind of a way. They're too weak to be able to go out, or perhaps they're contagious and can't go out. And they need or they are encouraged to invite the elders to them to pray because, well, they're too weak to pray for themselves. Perhaps they're worn out in praying for themselves. They're conscious and aware of being alone in prayer. So I think this is a verse that applies to severe physical sickness, which could be psychological, where they've become incapacitated, they they can't go out and so James says here to call the elders, the the pastoral leaders of the church in in a church like ours, that is the pastoral staff, it's the uh, elders of the church, it's the um, small group leaders, our life group leaders and there's three or four other people who operate in our church uh, in a pastoral kind of way. Uh, Paul says, call... uh, Paul, Paul would say it too, but James says, call the elders so that you're not alone. The elders will come and they will pray over the sick person and anoint them with oil. Not engine oil or WD-40 or something like that. Uh, but this would be some kind of therapeutic oil, uh, an oil that would have smelt nice and refreshed. It's not an oil that's magical. It may have had some medicinal properties. In the parable that Jesus told about the Good Samaritan, the Good Samaritan uh, put oil on the man who had been beaten up. 
But most of all, this oil is a symbolic expression of dependence on God because what is done with the oil is in the name of the Lord. The presence of the oil is a sign, an expectation of Jesus' presence and Jesus' power to do the healing. Now what's going on here is prayer, a prayer of faith that as the elders and the sick person come together they are expressing a verbalized dependence on God and a wholehearted commitment to his will for him to do healing will healing happen verse 15 and the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well or very literally, will save them. All the way through the New Testament, and especially in Luke's Gospel, where we get most of the healing miracles of Jesus, Jesus will say, go, your faith has made you well, or literally, go, your faith has saved you. Uh, In our English translations, everywhere we've got the word saved and the word healed, they are the same word in the language that Jesus spoke and in the languages that the New Testament was written down in. So there's kind of a double meaning uh, in it, though sometimes it only means one or the other. I was reading verse 15, that's what I was doing. Uh, The prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well, the Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. So will healing happen? Well, here's two things that James expects will happen. First of all, he expects that the sick person will be saved, that they will be made well. They might not be healed from the sick condition that they're going through, but they'll be made well, they'll be saved. And he's got this phrase here, they will be raised up. Now, this is a very broad phrase that does mean physical restoration, but it also can mean being raised up in well-being, being raised up in spirits. They'll be encouraged and strengthened. It can also mean resurrection, bodily resurrection into eternity. Now, in light of James chapter 1, verses 2 to 4, I think what at the least is on view, and especially is on view, is that they are raised up in faith and godliness. See, even if the physical ailment is going to continue on, the very act of prayer and the emphasis here on the prayer of faith, verbalised faith, entrusting themselves to God and to God's will with the community of pastoral elders that God has placed them in with, that they will be raised up and, and strengthened, just as God has promised, to grow them in faith and godliness so they might persevere to maturity. It might be in God's will that they continue in sickness because God wants to mature and strengthen them even further. James expects that the sick person will be made well and raised up. 
He also expects that they will be, have sin forgiven. There at the end of verse 15, if they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Now this raises the question for us, does physical, is physical sickness caused by sin? If I'm sick, if I've got a head cold, is that because of the sin that I did over here? Now physical sickness may or may not be the direct result of sin. It may be, it may not be. James anticipates that there will always be sin present in the believer's life. Is he right? Yeah, he's right. There's always sin there for us. Whether I'm sick or whether I'm well, I'm in the midst of sin. And every ailment that you and I go through should cause us to reflect on the brokenness of creation. Last week, I got, last week, last year, September, October, I got a virus like I had never gotten before. It smashed me for about six weeks and I am not back at 100% health now. More than ever, it made me realise how frail life is, how broken our world is how broken my body and life is that I could not even get out of bed. It made me realise the brokenness of creation. And why is creation broken? It's broken because of me, because I'm a sinner, I'm a rebel, I've turned myself against God, just like the man and the woman that we read about in the garden in Genesis chapter 3. I'm the cause of that, I'm just as much as a part of that. And so in the midst of my, bro- in the midst of my sickness and my frailty, I'm realising that's because of me. And so sickness... All sickness is a time for us to recognise our sinfulness, generally and specifically. Now, as you then lie there in the sickness, as you're able, you've slowed down from the rest of life, uh, rather than focusing all my time and attention on catching up on days of our lives from the last 20 years, to be thinking about my sin and bringing it to God in confession and repentance. This time last year was the first time I've ever been really sick in my life and this is what was going on for me. It's made me think then that I wonder whether then continued physical sickness for us is not a punishment from God, but in some way a gift from God that He might give us ongoing further time of being aware of our sin, continuing to confess it and repent because of it. In our sickness, reflect on our sin before God and call others to pray with us. Let's keep moving along. There's lots in that verse to um, keep talking about. Uh, That'd be a good thing to chat about in small groups. Please do. 
And we don't move very far into verse 16, because this has been talking about a specific situation of when we're not well. When we are in sin, the answer is pray. But particularly, this is a situation where we are not well in relationship with another believer. Let's read verse 16. I'll make a couple of quick points. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. The place for confessing sin to one another is at moments where we, have, where we are confessing to the person whom we have sinned against. Right? This is not a verse for us having little huddles around our church gatherings where we're going to spill our sin guts to one another. That is not something the Bible says that we need to do. The Bible certainly encourages us to confess to one another that we are sinners that we're all in this together. But this is not about confessing your sins to someone, about putting it out in the open. Now, some churches are big on those practices. Uh, I think the Roman Catholic Church has got a whole big practice around about that. I'm not familiar with it. Uh, This here is talking about sin in personal relationships where sin has broken our relationship, where if I have sinned against somebody, part of the reconciliation and restoration of that relationship starts with me going to confess my sin, what I have done wrong to the person whom I have sinned against and asking for their forgiveness. And then James says that we pray together. That's what this verse is all about. But we struggle to do it. At best, we learn to say sorry or perhaps let enough water pass under the bridge that we can move on and forget about it. When we do say sorry, it's often without acknowledging what we have actually done and perhaps it's just I'm sorry we're in this mess, I'm sorry that this is a bit uncomfortable, I'm sorry that you are upset. We struggle to do this. Uh, What we do need to have is the... uh, Oh, this is supposed to be a question, that's why there's a question mark. What do we need to do to have the intimacy of prayer with one another again? Is water passing under the bridge enough to have the intimacy of prayer with one another? Every single person here has been in some kind of conflict with somebody at church before. Let let down in such a way that you now sit in different places to each other, you don't do small group together, you serve in different ministry areas. I have. Uh, There are people that I can think of over the last 25 years of being deeply involved in church where I'd find it very hard to be intimate with them in prayer and one of the reasons for that is because of the way that I had sinned against them and never did anything about that. Now I can think of times where I have done something about that and we are intimate in prayer and life has gone better because of it and James says that that is possible 
when done right, confession and righteous prayer with each other, and righteous prayer is prayer that is done in the right with God, you're not hiding things from Him, confession and righteous prayer will be powerful and effective to bring healing to this relationship that we're in. Now my experience is that we're in this situation most often in our homes and in our marriages. And that is probably the place where we can most get away with letting water pass under the bridge. Letting things just kind of drift back to where they perhaps were before and never really actually dealing with it. That's looking at it negative, but looking at it positively, our homes and our marriages, for those who are married, are opportunities to learn this subtle art. This subtle art of living well with one another when we are not well in relationship with one another. Our marriages and our families and our homes are the close relationships where we can be working this stuff out, where we can be learning to do it, where we can be practicing it, where we can be modeling it to the other people who are looking in on us. Our small groups and our life groups moving out a little bit further are the kind of places where we can be learning to do this practicing it modeling it our church community in appropriate ways learning and modeling and practice so the world round about us is going this is a place where Jesus is making a difference where people are living well it doesn't always go well they don't always get it right Wow, I want to know something about that. And living in the midst of it, we don't have relationships with prickles and clouds and uncertainties and distance, but the intimacy of prayer with one another and for one another. We have lots of opportunity to learn this subtle art. Now, verses 17 and 18 uh, bring to us the example of Elijah. One of the things that's really striking here, he was a human being, verse 17, even as we are. Yes, Elijah was an Old Testament prophet. I want to encourage you, write this down, make a note of it. 1 Kings chapter 17, 18 and 19, really helpful to go home and read today or read this week so you get the whole background story on Elijah and while James, why James grabs him for him to be our example here. He was an Old Testament prophet, given the job of speaking God's words on behalf of God to God's people. He was a human being, just as we are. He, he's just like us. Yet James uses him as an example of one who prayed. And as, you, as you read the story and as, and as what James picks down here, he was somebody who prayed earnestly and he gained, he prayed. Uh, James' emphasis is not on uh, Elijah's uh, fervency or his repeated effort, but on prayer out of everything that Elijah was doing out of everything that was going on which involved uh, miraculous provision of food, a miraculous drought, a miraculous ending of drought and a resurrection. The emphasis here is that Elijah just 
prayed. A couple of years ago, I came in very late uh, for a service here. I think I might have been preaching at our Harrison congregation and arrived here about when the pastoral prayer was on. And as I walked in that back door, I saw 120 people doing nothing. And it struck me what a weird thing prayer is. There are so many things that we do in church as very skilled people, as active people, as intelligent people, as experienced people, as people who are wonderful doers and hard workers and servant-hearted and selfless. There are so many things that we do in and around and through the church where we are doing, 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 doing. And that morning, I got a lesson walking in here. I went, how weird is prayer? That here are these 120 people doing nothing. No, not doing nothing. Just praying. Only praying. No chanting No doing of anything to try and capture God's attention. No putting on any extra effort or energy on the side. No giving of money to make something happen. No scheming up and planning in our own minds to bring about the thing that we are praying for. Prayer is an expression of dependence on God, entrusting all that we bring to Him, to Him. That is prayer. Have a look at Elijah uh, this week to see how God was working that in his life. Now, final situation is a serious concern that James has and a serious concern that you and I should have. Verse 19. My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth... Right here, he doesn't say if someone wanders from the truth. He says if, if you. James expects that this is a danger for all of us, to be wandering from the truth. Uh, right, right, right through, he's, you might like to read back through the chapters again sometimes and see the presence of the word of truth that James talks about, that we're to be sowing down into our lives, to have planted in our lives, the word of truth that we hold up as a mirror to look at, to, to keep watching ourselves. Verse 19, my brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring that person back, remember this. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. For the brother or the sister who has wandered from the truth, wandered from the path of godliness, turned away from faith and trusting in Jesus, rescue them! Don't be like the lifesaver who sits on the beach under their sun hat sucking on a pina colada waiting for something else to happen. Rescue them. This is the only part in this passage where James expects us to do something more than just pray. 
Go after them. We all know the danger of walking away from Jesus, of veering away from faith, of giving up on godliness. We all know the pain of a life lost from God's flock. And so we all feel the seriousness of this, but we feel so uncomfortable to do something about it. It just seems so offensive that we might confront somebody and address the sin that we're seeing in their life or they're wandering away from the truth. One of my favourite commentators, not footy commentators but Bible commentators, says this, Sin is a thing of utmost seriousness and our greatest care for each other is to reach out in true pastoral concern to keep one another on the path of righteousness. Pastoral concern means cooking one another meals when we're going through a hard time. Pastoral concern means visiting one another when we are sick. Pastoral concern means looking out for one another and helping one another in raising children to know and love Jesus. Pastoral concern means looking out for the newcomer living in our suburb who is looking for a church community to be part on and we're being warm and welcoming towards them. That is all pastoral concern. But our greatest care for each other is to reach out in true pastoral concern to keep one another on the path of righteousness. Now this is so much more personal, delicate and life-saving than firing off social media posts about homosexuals. This is for us, for our community our gathering of believers, for those that we know and love, for those that we live with, for those that we're in life group together, we are responsible for turning one another back. We are responsible for calling one another back to the pathway of truth and righteousness, which is possible because of James' promise. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. Now James doesn't mention anywhere in his letter the death and resurrection of Jesus. Yet you can't miss that that's what he has in mind here. Cover over a multitude of sins. Cover is a pretty ordinary kind of word. I've got a covering of clothes on today for which you're all very thankful we've got a covering over the hot urn out there so that the water's not bubbling out over the top um, most of us have a covering of hair on our head to keep our heads warm um, in God's wonderful grace and provenance but cover in the New Testament is the word that is used to talk about the covering over of sin 
Not a sweeping under the carpet, but a dealing of it, a removing of the offence, a removing of its guilt, a removing of its shame. And this is what Jesus did and could only do through his death and resurrection on the cross. And so James says it is possible for us to go after one another, to rescue one another, to call one another away from sin and back into truth, to call one another back into faith through repentance and confession, back into walking the life of godliness with Jesus, this subtle art of living well because Jesus has covered over sin. Jesus has brought us atonement. Jesus has died in our place to bring us forgiveness. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multiple of sins. As we head into Easter this, this week, as we gather together on Thursday, on Friday and Sunday, as we celebrate the Lord's Supper at those celebrations, the Apostle Paul, and I do mean the Apostle Paul this time, he warns us about wandering away. Particularly in the context of sharing together in the Lord's Supper, he warns about persistent and unconfessed sin. He even says that amongst the church in Corinth in the first century that some of them are sick, some of them are suffering physical ailments because of their sin, their unconfessed, unrepentant sin. We must take this seriously. I must take it seriously. I have to warn you. It is our greatest pastoral concern to warn one another when someone is wandering when that is you rescue will you please turn to Psalm 32 as we finish up together Psalm 32 I'm going to read this as a a prayer for us I encourage you to take this away as a prayer for yourself this week A prayer of honest reflection, a prayer of repentance, a prayer that helps us to do what James does and hold up a mirror to ourselves, not a magnifying glass on other people but holding up the word of truth to ourselves. Perhaps you need to develop a bit more of a prayer habit and posture in your life, could you commit to praying this every day this week? Set an alarm in your phone to remind you, it's time to pray Psalm 32. And do it with that posture of repentance. Let's pray it together now. Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them and in whose spirit is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the guilt of my sin. 
Therefore, let all the faithful pray to you while you may be found. Surely the rising of the mighty waters will not reach them. You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my loving eye on you. Do not be like the horse or the mule which have no understanding, but must be controlled by bit and bridle or they will not come to you. Many are the woes of the wicked, but the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the one who trusts in him. Rejoice in the Lord and be glad, you righteous. Sing, all you who are upright in heart. Amen.